You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's great help in Ramah Israel, 5769, 2008. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayetze. This week's Parsha we have the story of Yaakov, Jacob going down to the, actually going north, up to the family of Lavan. And there he finds these two sisters, Rachel and Leah. And he would like to marry Rachel, spend seven years working in order to, so to speak, buy Rachel's hand in marriage. And on the night of the wedding, so Lavan, Laban, switches Leah for Rachel. And in fact, Yaakov, unbeknownst to him, ends up marrying Leah. And the next morning he wakes up and it's Leah. And he says to Lavan, what have you done to me? Why did you trick me? Why didn't you, I said, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. That's what I worked for seven years. And Lavan says, we don't do that in our country. The older daughter gets married first. Leah's the older daughter. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to work another seven years if you want to marry Rachel, if you want to marry Rachel. So a few questions that strike us as we read this story, or should strike us as we read the story is, okay, so Lavan is an incredible Ramai. He's a trickster, and he's doing this to Yaakov. But, we need to understand what was Leah's role in this story. Because Leah, what was what was she thinking? She was the one in order to, to Yaakov, in order for Yaakov to end up marrying Leah. So Leah has to take an active role in the trick that Lavan is trying to perform. Our sages tell us that in fact Leah, she knew that she was supposed to be married to Yaakov, she knew that Rachel was supposed to be married, but what did Rachel do? Rachel gave her the signs, there were certain signs, Yaakov had a feeling, he knew that Lavan would try to do something. So Yaakov gave special signs to Rachel, and he said, Rachel, this is how I'm going to know that, that this is you, whatever the secret passwords were. But Rachel went and so that Leah shouldn't be embarrassed. So she gave, Rachel gave the signs to Leah, so that Leah would have those signs. This would seem to indicate that Leah knew what was going on. So the question again is, how could she allow herself to be a party to this trick that was going on? We're not talking about a small-time trick, we're talking about a major trick. And what makes things perhaps a little bit worse, makes it more difficult, is if we look what happens afterwards, who is the one that gives birth to half of the people of Israel, to half of the 12 tribes? So Leah, she has six out of the 12 tribes. So it seems that despite the fact that Leah was somebody who perhaps should not have been in the picture, but nevertheless she ends up taking most, she ends up taking 50% of Kalal Yisrael. She had not only that, but who are her kids? Her kids were Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun. And Yehuda, so we know that Mashiach, Mashiach ben David, and King David himself came from the tribe of Yehuda. The scepter never is going to pass away from Yehuda once the king started to be from the tribe of Yehuda. So they had to continue being from the tribe of Yehuda. Yehuda was central. Most of the Jews that exist today, this reason we're called Jews, were called Jews from the word Yehuda. Yehuda was the original Jew, so to speak. But all the Jews that exist today or most of the Jews that exist today, are from the tribe of Yehuda. The other tribe that we have that still exists today is the tribe of Levi. There are Levites, and there are Kohanim. Kohanim are also from Levi. Kohanim are all from Aaron Cohen, from Aaron, and Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. So we have all of these Jews, and they're all from Leah. Most of the Jews that exist today, they're all, there is a small percentage of Jews that are actually from the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin. Nevertheless, in any event, most of the Jews are indeed from Leah. So clearly, Leah was going to play a significant role. Now the question is, how, what, was she, what was she thinking? How did, how did this role come about? So to begin with, 
I'd like to share with you a Dasakanim that on the surface seems very, very difficult to understand. But once we begin to understand it, it will give us a very deep insight into what was going on in this whole story and what Leah was thinking. The Dasakanim says that in the morning, after Yaakov woke up, so he looks and he sees that the woman that he married was not Rachel, but the woman he married was in fact Leah. And he says to her, how could you? How could you do this? Uh, last night, when when we got married, I said I kept saying the name Rachel. I kept saying Rachel. I kept saying Rachel, and you kept responding as if you were Rachel. How could you do this to me? And it's very interesting. What was her response? She said, "Actually, I learned it from you. I learned it from you, Yaakov, because when you came in for the blessings from your father, from Yitzchak, Yitzchak said, is this my son Esav?' And what did you respond, Yaakov? You responded, yes, I am your son Esav. You did what you had to do, and I did what I had to do. That's what Leah said. Now on the surface, this conversation is very difficult to understand. It almost sounds like Leah saying to him, well, two wrongs make a right. You did something wrong. You shouldn't have done that when you said to your father, you lied to your father, so I lied to you just like you lied to him. Now, at this point, we need to remember, we need to constantly keep in mind as we're reading these stories that we're not talking about just simple individuals you know, we're talking about people who are paragons of humility. They're paragons of righteousness. Leah was the, the mother of Kleisel, of half of the people of Israel. Jacob, Yaakov was the father, the forefather of all the twelve tribes. Every single one of his children was a tzaddik. All twelve of them were righteous individuals. It's also clear that they had a certain level of nevuah, a certain level of ruach hakodesh, a certain level of divine inspiration. They were able to see what was going on, what was going on behind these scenes. What's the understanding of this conversation? So let's go back to the words that these people said, these great people said. And if we try to evaluate what's going on a little bit deeper, what's going on behind the surface, then we'll be able to understand the great depth. Yaakov says to her, what, what, you, what were you doing? I said to you, I kept saying the name Rachel, and you kept responding as if you were Rachel. Leah responds, I learned it from you. You, when your father said to you, are you my son Esav, I want to bless you, you said, yes, I am your son Esav. Now, why did Yaakov, in the previous parsha, this is an important point that we need to understand, how could Yaakov go and lie to his father? Sheker, Yaakov was the Ish Emes, he was the person who was the paragon of truth. How could he say such an incredible falsehood? He lied straight to the face of his father. And the answer is that sometimes Emes is Sheker, and Sheker is Emes. Sometimes truth is false, and falsehood is truth. When is that? So I'll give you an example. The story is told of a certain woman who knew the whereabouts of some Jews during World War II when the Germans were looking for the Jews. And when the Germans knocked on this woman's door and they asked her, do you know where those Jews are? She said to herself, I can't say a lie. I must tell them the truth. Truth is a very great ideal. And she revealed where the Jews were hiding. And because she said the truth, the Jews were killed. Now what comes out of this story is that when a person uses the truth in order to cause, to wreak havoc, to cause someone's death, that is not truth. That's falsehood. Because real truth has to do with what is the ultimate will of God. There's a concept that the sages teach us in the Gemara, in the Talmud, and they say that there are certain cases where it's permitted to say a white lie, to change the truth. 
And the cases usually have to do with the concept of shalom, of peace. In order to get to peace, one is permitted to say something which is an untruth. And the reason, how could we possibly do that? The Torah says, Midvar Sheker Tirchak, you must stay far away from something that's false. So how could we do that? The answer is that this is not called falsehood. In order to create peace, in order to create peace, let's say, between man and his wife, so sometimes a person has to lie. Sometimes a person has to say, you know, when, when his wife asks, how do, you, how do I look, honey? And, and the wife doesn't look so great. So sometimes it's a mitzvah to say, oh, my, my, my wife, you look beautiful. You look so gorgeous. Even though it's not true. Why? Because it's a concept of Mishanim Ibn Asholim. That truth has more to do with what is the ultimate will of God than being absolutely accurate to, to the facts or what exactly happened or what's going on. So the same thing is true in regards to Yaakov, of, you know, in regards to Jacob. When Jacob was asked by Yitzchak, by Isaac, who are you? Are you my son Esav? Jacob knew that it was imperative. His mother told him his mother Rivka was in Avia. She was a prophetess. She had a prophecy that Yaakov, Jacob, was the one who was going to be the greater one. And Jacob, it was necessary that he get the blessings. So he knew that he had to get those blessings no matter what it took. And that was the will of God. He knew that. Thus, when he said, yes, I am Esav, he had to say that in order for him to be able to get the blessings of Esav. So in truth, when he said that, that really was the truth. Because that was necessary in order to for the will of God to be fulfilled. Now, Leah says to Yaakov, yeah, you know what you did? You did the same thing as I did. Because you went and you said to your father an untruth. But why did you say that untruth? Because you knew that there was a spiritual acquisition that you needed to attain that was absolutely imperative. You knew that that was the will of God. I too, says Leah, I also needed to say, in order for you to marry me, I needed to be part of Klai Israel. I needed to be the grandmother, the great-grandmother of the people of Israel. And there are going to be six tribes, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, that are going to come out of me. And amongst those tribes are going to be the Kohanah, the priests of the people of Israel. Amongst those tribes are going to be Yehuda, who's going to be the great-grandfather of the Davidic dynasty, of the Messiah of Mashiach. Leah had had to enter into Kleisrael, and the only way that she would be able to enter Kleisrael is if when Yaakov said, Rachel, she responded and said, yes, I am Rachel. That's what she responded. And that also explains why, you know, if you look at the service, it doesn't really seem to make too much sense. What happens, what, is she, what does he do in the verses? The verses say, he goes to love and it says, he complains, why did you trick me? Why doesn't the Torah say that he, that he divorces his wife Leah? Why, why does he keep her around? And the answer is because she was right. Because he knew that just like he had gone on, and he had said something which was untrue in order to gain that spiritual acquisition that was necessary because he knew that God wanted that, Leah also had to do that. And he acknowledged that she was right, that, he, that she also, in order to enter Israel, to bring about the people of Israel to be what it's supposed to be, to bring, th to bring through half of the people of Israel into the world. So she had to say that Shekhar, she had to say that falsehood, but it wasn't really Shekhar. It really was Amos, and that's what she was saying to him. Now, I'd like to stress that the lesson of this story is not per se that the ends justify the means. If we, we think that you know, we need to accomplish something spiritually, we can step on whoever we want in order to get where we need to, to get to. We have to remember who we're talking about. We're talking about Yaakov and Leah. The, they were paragons of righteousness. They had Ruach HaKodesh. They had levels of divine inspiration. They knew things that we don't know. 
But what we do learn from this story, what we do see from the story of both Yaakov and Leah, they had such determination, they had a tremendous amount of desire to create the people of Israel, to do whatever was necessary in order for the creation of the people of Israel, those servants of God who bring the light of God down into the world. Whatever was necessary, they were ready to do it. Leah was ready to embarrass herself. She was ready to endure difficulty for many years. Yaakov was ready to do something that would mean that his brother was going to hate him and want to kill him and he would have to run away from his father's house and be away from his family for 22 years but it didn't matter because both Yaakov and Leah knew that what they were doing was something that was essential that was fundamental to the entire world that would affect all generations of all people all of humanity that's what their actions meant and they realized that and they took it seriously that's why they were ready to do things that required tremendous sacrifice it's a lesson for us because so many times we see you know we know what's right we know what we really should do but it's difficult for us to really make that sacrifice to really be ready to jump to do whatever it takes to be embarrassed to to embarrass ourselves to do what's right sometimes we say something to someone we insult them we act with with a lack of humility we act with downright gaiva with haughtiness and it takes a real man to get up and say I'm going to apologize I'm going to come back and say I, w I was really at fault it's difficult, but if we know that that's something that's right, we've got to get up and do that. There are so many cases, so many circumstances that we can apply this idea to. A person knows what he needs to do, and so many times he's recalcitrant, he's lazy, and he doesn't think about how important spirituality is, or he allows it to go to the back burner. But we have to strengthen ourselves, we have to see, look at these great people, look what they were willing to do in order to do the right thing, to bring about the right result. We have to be ready to also sacrifice, to sacrifice our ego, to sacrifice what others will think of us, to sacrifice our preconceived notions about what reality is and where we really stand. We have to be ready to do that in the face of a greater truth. When we see the truth, we have to jump and, and do whatever it takes to get that truth, to access that truth. And when we do that, so we certainly will be able to have a tremendous connection to God, tremendous connection to Hashem. I want to bless you and me and all of us that we should merit to be able to strengthen ourselves, to strengthen our, strengthen our friends, to strengthen those around us, to be able to stand true, to stand tall, to do what we know is right. And in this way, we'll grow ever higher in our relationship with God. Thank you for listening. Have a very good Shabbos.